welcome to the Unfiltered Coffee Podcast. I am Spencer Edicatus, green buyer and head roaster for Peixoto Coffee. Hey guys, my name is Eddie Padilla. I'm a store manager and coffee educator through Arizona Coffee Social. We are your hosts. In this podcast, we aim to catalyze conversations around coffee science, business, ethics, philosophy, culture, and tasting. We are so thankful to have you. And now on to the show. Yeah. Okay. So we went over all the ranges now, I think. I'm just going to go from the bottom real quick and just go over the basics that we've been talking about. So espresso, we talked about grind size being really important. It's a very fine grind, usually 100 to 200 microns. I also have this very different theory on brewing espresso and grind size. Just don't care about grind sizes so much anymore. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Grind size is like one of these things I think for espresso was used to restrict flow to get enough contact time to extract enough. Because if you don't have contact time in like a nine bar machine and it just flows right through like it will in a nine bar machine, you're just going to get a sour shot. Yeah. And so the grind was like a restriction to create the like contact time that you needed. It wasn't even about you're picking this perfect grind as I think in the beginning. Yeah. Now pressure profiling and flow profiling that's not even like where it starts. There's puck preparation that's just like can change that whole situation on grind size too. In the basic end, grind size being fine, important. And the advanced side, you, you start caring a lot less about that and you care a lot more about the channels that form and the, the overall saturation of the puck and how the water's flowing through completely and less about like how fine you really are. So we'll go more into that a little bit. But yeah, once it's ground into your porta filter, which is what the handle thing is called, the metal basket in there, and then you grind into the basket. Um, the basket then has uh, different holes in the bottom that lets the liquid through, like we talked about. And what you do when it's inside of the basket is what we're referring to when we say puck preparation. And this is where you're basically setting up the puck to have water pass through it. And the things that you do here, like tamping and distributing how much you tamp how little you tamp in correlation with your grind size really matters to the overall espresso and like how a level you are and if you broke the puck or not all kinds of stuff with the puck preparation really matters and so this is the stuff that we were talking about that starts to matter a lot more when you've gotten to more and more advanced levels and if you can't get this part right then espresso is just not going to be good when you put things under pressure like this if you have any sort of easier ways where the water can flow through a certain part of the puck more than others you're just going to get all the water going through that area and you're going to get under extraction in most of the rest of the coffee and over extraction through those what we call channels so this part like breaking channels making sure everything is saturated very well is probably the most key things you can do and after you've prepped your puck very well then that's where you would put it into the espresso machine and a really basic espresso shot will be somewhere between 20 to 30 seconds depending on the coffee usually you're dosing somewhere like 18 to 20 grams you're pulling something like 35 to 65 grams out and all depending on your preference and that's what we generally call espresso the things that start mattering here once you get past this point like we talked about are like what happens in the espresso do you want do you want to talk about what, how you think about puck prep and the things that are important there real quick actually yeah man 
puck prep. It's huge. There's so much going on with puck prep that most people don't think about, I guess. The biggest thing with pup prep, pup, and I was getting the same way too. <laughs> uh, I think there's two things, right? Having it even and compressed, or having it even but loose. Yeah. I think most people think of puck prep is getting it level and compressed. Mm-hmm. So your normal, put it in, tap it on the side, get everything level, tamp it down, or use a distributor tool on top and just groom it before tamping. I think that's pretty much most common. Very effective, makes a very tasty drink. Then there's puck prep on keeping your grounds loose, which is something that most people don't think about, which is just another way of brewing coffee. So if you take away the thought of I'm brewing espresso and have the thought of I'm brewing coffee, when you do a looser ground preparation, where you use something, say, like a wise distribution tool, or another name would be like a espresso rake, where you stir your espresso, declump everything before compressing, or uh, a tool that's recently came out now, the Porky Press, very over the top, very expensive, but it gives a means to brew in a different way. So with puck compression, the first way, it's pretty basic. You take it, you tamp it, you throw it in your group head. Group head creates pressure. That pressure creates more pressure. And if you prep your bed well enough, there shouldn't be any cracks in there. So water would flow evenly throughout the whole bed, which will give you a quote unquote even extraction, even though top layer would extract harder than bottom layer. And you get your expressive beverage. Time wise and beverage out, that's all preference. With the loose bed, you can do many things. You can pull a shot, depending on how fine you are. You could do an extra fine, closer to Turkish, and not really compress your bed as much. And let the group head pressure compresses that for you. And because it's so loose, you're not going to get channeling because water is going to find the fastest route. But at this point, all route is fast. So you end up getting a quicker shot time, but you're still getting an even extraction because your grind is much finer. You could also do it where your grind is much coarser in the exact same manner of prepping and adding something like the B-plus or flare filter on top, which will create a more even saturation when the water flows on top of your bed. This is going back to your lever type of question before where if you open up your chamber and water just pour all over it you'll get uh disturbance on the top layer so this filter will not get rid of it but it will soften it up quite a bit and because you have this on a much looser coarser ground you end up having an extra compression because you have less headroom between your bed and the group head itself or the shower itself so that shower is actually going to push that filter on and compress it and when i do something like that i like to push it a longer shot time something closer to a minute at a slightly lower pressure because again grind size is bigger you need more contact time and things like that will change your espresso experience 
with something like that, it's going to be really different for a lot of people because it creates a thinner body compared to your traditional way of brewing, where it's a more fuller body experience. Both are technically correct in extraction. So both are going through pressure. So you're still should consider those beverages as espresso. So with puck preparation, you can manipulate your brew final result. Yeah, I know there's a lot to unpack there. The real quick to explain what the B plus is, that's this it's like a basically is metal filter that sits on top and it is very like fine little holes that the water is then forced to move through. And I, I look at it as like a kind of a flow restrictor in a way where like the water then has to gets pressurized at the top and then it has to force its way through these tiny little micro holes and you get the water very evenly distributed across the whole bed and in a really low agitation way. And I think of it as the mellow drip for espresso in some ways where... Yes, that's actually a really good analogy for it. Yeah, and I think it's amazing. Kim Mock gave me one of these things and I was... I started just by pulling normal espresso shots and getting my uh, coffee dialed in that I was working with. And then I just stuck this thing on top and it just fits right on top of your puck after you prepped it, like perfectly seals up kind of around your the top of the puck. And when you start pulling water through this thing, everything just slows down. So like I, I say, I use the same grind sizes I was using and I was pulling, I think, 26 second shots on my normals grind. And then when I put this thing, it was about 45 to 50 seconds, I think. That is, so it really restricts the flow rate. And man, the shots were just like the sweetest I'd ever tasted because you just have all this contact time, but you have such low agitation. I, it's really hard to over extract, I found. Like it's yeah. really hard to make bitter. Yeah. So what that is, Eddie nailed it at the head, like in the beginning when you have traditional espresso like shower head hitting your grinds, that top layer is going to be way more extracted than yeah. the rest of your puck. And using tools, method, and whatnot can help slow down extraction, so it can help get all of the extraction more evenly. This could be a good or a bad thing depending on your preference, because a lot of people do like mixed extraction. Yeah. People do like having something that's a little bit under extracted in their beverage, pour over or espresso just to have a little bit more complexity. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with having a very even extraction and a very balanced drink also. Hardest thing about talking about this to people is it's subjective. Like I could like something that somebody else does not like. If you like darker roasts, you won't like any of the experiment I usually do just because it usually leans towards a higher extraction yield. And with darker roasts, when you get a higher extraction yield is usually a little bit on the drier and more bitter aspect of it. When you're dealing with darker roasts, with espresso, you usually, not all the time, but for my preference, a quicker shot just to get the extraction a little bit lower. And that would make it a little bit more palatable and a little bit more complex for me. Same thing, or the opposite thing for lighter roasts, where I'm going for a lot more contact time. Just because the density of a lighter roast just takes a lot more effort to extract. So you're either dealing with hotter water, higher agitation, or more contact time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so for the second part you were talking about is like these low compression tamps 
which we've talked a lot about off air at different times. And this is something I really believe is, is going to be a big thing in the future for the reasons you explained. You can go like extremely fine grinds when you do low compression tamps or no, no tamp at all. And I, I like think if you really look into espresso and what we were thinking about or talking about earlier, where like we were trying to grind fine to slow down this flow rate and try to do that. And I think we're also tamping a lot of the times to slow down flow rate. And it was, it like isn't serving really any purpose other than to get you to this certain amount of contact time before it like just blows through and like you just get these really sour shots. So I've always thought the tamping is something we just do without thinking about. Uh, and, and it really doesn't serve the extraction the best way. And you can do this by doing like a general writing down your flow rates of, an, of a shot that you've tamped and then one that you haven't tamped. And you'll notice like the tamped shots are like super low flow rate until it breaks the seal. And then just like you get that ends and yeah. are just like flowing through. So Real just quick to so cut you off with the non-tamping aspect, puck preparation is really big. We never had the right tool to do non-tamping people jerry-rigged a bunch of stuff but like we're finally seeing tools that actually help non-tamping espresso so like having something to poke a lot of holes in because the hard thing is when you go finer you produce more clumps because just static cling and moisture and all of that nice stuff Mm -hmm. so that's the big reason why we don't usually go for looser non-tamping or light tamp espresso because we just weren't really able to or we never thought to make a tool to help us yeah yeah i totally agree i the first time i tried this was when the distributor tools started to come out for the first time and because you can start to break those clumps in really fine grinds and you can yeah you can create something that's really evenly distributed in density of the puck and then you can start pulling shots that are a lot more unique and a lot more linear in their flow rate like when you do a no tamp puck that's really nicely distributed puck preps really good you'll get like the same flow rate from the beginning of the shot to the end of the shot which if you think in even extraction mindset that's what you would want you would want something that's very even all the way throughout if you look at the ones that have been tamped you get some that like the flow rate's really slow and then it's really fast which if you just think about that it's uneven like the first half of the extraction is going to be much more contact time than the second half and so you're just going to get worse extractions. So I think, I don't know if you were taking extraction yields on yours, but the ones that I did, you could easily hit 23 to 25% extractions. Yeah, so extraction yield, I usually don't uh, record it anymore just because I don't feel like it's as important anymore. Just because extraction yield is so hard to actually get correct because you get so much mixed extraction, especially on the type of shot you're doing. So 23% of one shot is not the same as 23% on another shot. So unless I'm trying to replicate something, I won't use a TDS meter anymore. So if we're not doing competition, if we're not doing R&Ding to just try to get the right number every single time, I don't see a point. I just go by taste and just go by taste is king. Another point with all of these crazier puck preparation, like the no tamp and things like that, it's not really feasible for high volume shop. It takes so much pup preparation to actually do, to actually get it right. Not saying pup preparation is not important for a high volume shop. It's just more 
on you do different preparation something where it's more traditional compression tamp based type of puck preparation you still need to get that right yeah a lot of the stuff there's probably ways that you can do no tamp shots in a high volume shop but we are like more in the R&D phase where we're just like seeing what tastes good at this point and we found that like some of these things are pretty interesting yep. like you should be trying to do things outside of the box i think is what we're really trying to get at mm -hmm. and uh, think of espresso as like just a brewing method that you want to play with all the variables at, at hand and that's the really important part but it is interesting i think on the extraction yield side like i just like doing these weird experiments and just seeing like the potential of it like how much you've really pulled and it kind of tells you i think a little bit about your how even things went because if it tastes good and you're really high extraction yields it does show you like you've gotten this really even distribution which i then, totally agree with yeah, that yeah so it's more like how it tastes great okay now do we have levels to push even further or 25 percent? i don't know how much further you can go so you've shown that okay we've gotten a decent amount of what the coffee in here and we've this is like something we maybe should pursue or something and at, at that level if you're at 25 percent, your price per shot can actually start going down like you're so efficiently pulling coffee flavor from the espresso or from the pucks that you're actually wasting less you could yeah you could do like a 16 gram shot instead yeah. of a 19. yeah which is there was a really interesting white paper on this that i think james hoffman broke down they actually talk about how grind is like less important not great to go really fine it's more great to find the optimal flow rate for us for your puck at, at any given time so you want it to where you go right before it will start clumping and you get there and you just pull these they were pulling like i think 14 gram shots with 80 grams out and going like 25 percent extractions and when you put in milk it tastes great yeah and I mean, it saves you a lot of money over time a lot of that go watch james hoffman video but go read the article because if you only watch his video you might take it the wrong way oh yeah i didn't uh, watch the video so uh, most people take james hoffman video the wrong way in my opinion <laughs> but great info he put out great videos just listen to everything he says and not just the part that you want to hear yeah. and go read the source material yeah you i mean that source material is actually really great it's a good study yeah it's hard because it, you can go finer if you can find a way to flow better exactly yeah which is where no tam and stuff yeah. like that starts to play yeah so we'll link those ones those are pretty interesting if you're into reading black papers on espresso but uh, yeah so i think we touched on basics there like puck prep which is just huge so we just wanted to touch on that before we move on the last part i just wanted to do some grinder stuff espresso grinders this is that's the second most controversial thing that i always get in arguments with i'll try to get kim Hock canceled on his <laughs> espresso <laughs> grinders thoughts but yeah i think this one's a really it's a hot topic on what kind of burrs you like and what kind of grind settings you want to do and all kinds of stuff but we'll try to give some recommendations and what we think is important so on espresso grinders, I think really the only things that make an espresso grinder different than a normal grinder is your micro adjustments and your ability to grind fine with a tight distribution in the fine level. I don't know if there's more than that that's different than a normal grinder that like just drip grinder that you want to add on, but I think those are the only two I, things really. I feel like that covers enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. You might add like. I mean, there's bird geometry quite a bit yeah. between the two, but. Yeah, like temperature stability of birds and stuff like that you, it matters more. We'll, we'll talk a little yeah. bit about that in here in the next step. But yeah, I think that's really the main things that make it like you need those two things mm -hmm. for it to be an espresso grinder. So yeah, let's go into what makes espresso grinders better than another one. So I think the first part is like dose. Different machines will dose out different ways. And at home, dose probably doesn't matter so much because you can just dose by hand. But when you're in a shop, having a time-based dosing or weight-based dosing is just like a needed thing. So there's a lot of machines that will do time-based dosing. That's a standard where it'll just grind for four or five seconds, whatever it is, and it'll give you roughly what you need and then usually scale it out and make it sure it's perfect, which is works, but is can be a little inaccurate at times. And then weight-based dosing now is starting to become a bigger thing where the, you actually weigh out your, or tear out your portafilter and it actually weighs the amount of coffee that's going into it. So that's a very accurate way to dose out coffee, which has been really nice, but the technology is still a little, not fully there, I don't think, in my opinion. So where like, if you bump the portafilter or tear it off wrong, it's just gonna grind wrong and dose wrong and maybe slower than it needs to be in that way but it's moving in the right direction and that's probably where everything will be in five years i think is weight based um do you guys have anything to touch on the on dosing there dosing is gonna be the biggest thing for commercial grinders in the future at least espresso commercial grinders there are good ones coming out I don't know why Malconi is taking so long to release the E65S grab by weight to the yeah Europe has it for a while now and I really want to play with that in person because it looks like it's quick like the tearing look quick the process of grinding looks quick and it looks even enough Ezinger has their own scale base that's pretty good too not very popular grinder in the u.s compact is starting to do some really cool stuff too so like big commercial companies are coming out with great weight-based grinder and i think in the future if shops can afford it when there's something nice out there I feel like everybody should move towards that because it is a big time saver. But at the moment, the biggest name I could think of is the Mythos, and it's so slow. Yeah. Where a time base still rules. Slow and, and tearing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So and that messes with your flow. Yeah. So you like, can't really bump it or anything. Yeah. It has to like rethink. Mm -hmm. So in the bar where you're flying around, yeah. if you touch it, then it has to re-tear. But rethink. to be like fair to it it is first gen and it is without it other company won't follow but they were like the first high-end commercial grinder if you wanted one of the best commercial grinder you go for a mito 2 climate control pro i had a really big gripe with the e65s they always for me since they're smaller you have the big one you have the i have the e80 supreme that one's massive yeah. the e65 it always just overheats so in a busy bar it just overheats and your shots just die go out the window so then you have to figure out ways to go get around that i'm not that busy to overheat my grinder <laughs> but yours is huge it's massive that's a big part yeah that's the difference maker between a commercial grinder and a home grinder yep. is not 
thermal stability within the burr set, but thermal stability within your motor. Yeah, all of it, really. Right. Because you could, somebody will come out with a thermal stable home grinding, yeah. but you almost never need it because you don't grind back to back. Yeah, you pull one shot. Yeah, it's, we might as well just jump into this since we're talking about it. But this is another key point of choosing a grinder is your burr temperature stability. And yeah, like Kimok just said, home, unless you're pulling like a ton of shots in a row, which you probably aren't, you really don't have to care about the burrs. Yes, yeah, issue up. with the Forte way back in the days yeah. when we were doing throwdowns at my house. Yeah, that will do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That thing was on fire. Yeah. I mean, they don't come with like any fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those burrs were hot. And I was using the steel burrs too. Yeah. It was hot. Yeah, real hot. But yeah, th this is a big thing in, in any cafe setting because as burrs change temperatures, they change shape, they, they expand and contract with temperature changes, which then ends up changing your grind settings, essentially. And it also heats up the grounds of coffee they are moving through, which also change your extractions. This is the reason I wanted to buy the Mythos over yeah. the E80. Yeah. So but at the end, it would have been just for fun, and it's not like a work-based thing so I, I i'm buying a work grinder so i went with the faster work grinder this is something if, if you heat up coffee like just the beans before you grind them like really hot and then you pull a shot and you do one with cold they'll pull like 10 seconds different 15 seconds different from each other and is this like the oil or something that's clumping or why is it i i don't know i uh, i'm not sure i always thought it was a temperature equilibrium thing like mm -hmm. when it's really cold the water has to first heat up the whole puck and then it will start to move faster Whereas if it's already hot, it will just pass through things, bounce around faster when it's hot. Right. So now do hot grinders produce more clumps when you're dosing into? I have not looked into this enough. Or is it, does that not? Once I get my warehouse up and running, you can try it. Okay. Yeah. I'll do that test. Yeah, I haven't done that. I haven't done that study. That's yeah. interesting. That uh, you might I, get different clumping though. I think to me, I've never tried it just because it wasn't. I never one I. I thought about it, but I never cared enough to try it. I'm never around an area where I can just heat up coffee right away. And yeah. the closest thing that I've done to that is roasting, and dropping it, then <laughs> throwing it in the grinder. Yeah, yeah. I think what James Hoffman, I think, did a video on this somewhere where I was like, it was intriguing, but he, I think he microwaved the coffee yeah. and then threw it in. And uh, you got some, he didn't talk about, it was an espresso, I don't think, or speeds that he was talking about, but it was more about flavor. I think he found that like flavor differences were big. But anyways, this is like something that's really big with bars and burr temperature stability within grinders on the bar is really important because if you go through a rush, you're going to pull a bunch of shots and your burrs are going to heat up really hot. And you're going to continue to like change your grind settings to compensate for like your new you know burr temperature. Oh, this is the reason why I like the new Malconics because they show burr distance. Mm. So if your burrs heats up or cools down, it, it would give you. you, if you pay attention, you could actually adjust your grinder as your burrs expand mm -hmm. or contract. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This that's a really good feature we should talk about. That's actually hopefully the future of grinders too from what i've seen on my pace it doesn't expand enough yeah. to actually matter as much i'm pretty sure if we were twice as busy it might yeah yeah but anyways you're changing your grind setting as this heats up and then as 
then when you get off your rush, your birds will cool back down because they have fans kind of blowing on them. And so then by the time you start up another rush, your grind's gonna be completely off because you've set it up in a time where your burrs are really hot and now they're really cold. And so then you have this, okay, I gotta redial in, going into the rush, and then you go do the same thing over and over again. So the way people have tried to fix this is through giant burrs, which kind of will throw the coffee through much faster, won't generate as much heat doing it, will spread out the heat more evenly across giant burrs. Um, they'll have giant fans blowing on the burrs all the time, dissipate the heat as fast as possible. And then even in the Climate Pro, the Mythos 2 that Kimok referenced earlier, they actually heat the burrs up. So in between rushes, you don't have that collapse in temperature. It will always hold a certain temperature for you. So I think that part's really nice. We're outside of rush it it holds it and in the rush it's cooling it down with fans the whole time. So you gotta have that temperature band a lot lower. Yeah, so I think this is a big, this is one of the most important things for a grinder at work. One, if you're high volume at least, this is probably the most important thing. Yeah, I actually think it's funny only because when I first started in coffee, we always talk about, oh, if the weather changes outside, our shots are different. And the more like I work, the more I see things. I realized it, it was never the weather outside. It was always just like how we control our grinder yeah. and like how stable the grinders was. Because mm -hmm. back then it was just like the when I worked with a lot cheaper grinders too. Yeah. That truthfully just was not thermally just stable. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think all of us have heard, oh, it's raining outside, I need to adjust my grinder. Whereas no, it's just colder, so your, yeah, your burrs are just shifting a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's probably something at really humid times with heat conduction through the humidity in the air. Maybe it conducts better or whatever, or, or worse, like pulls heat mm -hmm. off the burrs faster and maybe it changes things. But I think those would be very extreme yeah, times. Yeah, it, it needs to be like, monsoon season yeah where it's just like hot then it's just wet then it's yeah. but throughout the rest of the year yeah i think that that was probably something that was an old school thing to say yeah because when you're time-based dosing you, the barometric pressure change would probably push out a higher dose you know really and ruin too. your shots yeah. if you're thinking about dosing it probably makes a bigger difference uh, also with humidity it clumps all yeah. over and your retention's worse so i bet like it was more like on your dose that it would screw up so now when we're like measuring out by weight it doesn't matter yeah because like i said when i first started that was like the whole thing so oh my god the weather's changing yeah my grinder's gonna be different yeah. i need to adjust exactly and i was just like wait we use the same coffee the same rose profile <laughs> like why would it change yeah it's not uh, gonna change uh, yeah if you're weighing out and whatnot, uh, i don't think it'll change but this is a big one i think the next one is probably grind side or grind speed and this is pretty important if you're picking one that's like some of these small little grinders grind like for 15 to 17 seconds something like that yeah. mazzer is like uh, mini this thing takes so long to grind we didn't even <laughs> have the mini we had the no no those ones are good like I've worked, they're still a little slow and yeah. they're like the big boy mazzer yeah. the mini is literally like the slowest seconds. thing uh, they're slower than that. home grinders yeah i worked on that once worst thing ever yeah, so if you're in like the really small side, again, at home, probably doesn't matter to do 15 second shots. At work though, like in a rush of any sort, 15 second grind times is like the worst because if you have to make changes to the grind or re-pull a shot, you're just like down like two minutes of time. It's the worst thing yeah. ever. Also, going back to that, 
grind retention for a commercial is also really big because the more grind retention you have, the more coffee waste you have. Yeah. So purging out one second versus purging out 10 seconds is a big waste when you're doing it like hundreds of time a week. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of these newer grinders are not zero retention. There's no grinder is zero retention yeah. but they're not single dose grinders that has low retention either but they are a lot better at retention we don't have these weird doser that yeah like, <laughs> yeah, like, like chambers and stuff anymore it's as direct out as possible now on yeah. a lot of the grinders yeah. yeah retention really matters for waste on one half and then also on time-based dosing just being accurate because you set up your times based on what you think is going to fall out of the chute in a certain amount of time. But if you have re huge amounts of retention one time and low retention the next time, so you get some grinders that are like a gram up and down because sometimes it will retain a lot and then it will just dump all that out and then it will retain. And, and so you end up with dosing that's like all over the place. So retention is a big one to think about in that regard and also in the waste regard. Also when you have to change grind settings, if you have a bunch of retention, like you have to like, yeah, burn like three shots before you've like moved all the old grind setting out and put the new one kind of in place because there's a lot of that retention. So you'll get like a mix of grind settings for a little while as you're trying to purge all the old one out. So that's a big one to look at. Retention, grind speed, like we talked about, is important just to be like under five seconds. It's really what you want to be these days in a shop. The next one, the micro adjustment control, I think it's really important. Just the ease of it. There's some of these machines are so hard to like get accurate notches at, on yeah. a micro scale. So I think there's a lot of machines now that have become like little knobs that make it just super easy to change. I think that plus the visual of bird distance helps. I think shifting it, like it really doesn't matter. It's arbitrary, like yeah. numbers are arbitrary, but if you have something to read bird distance, that's way more accurate. That's the future. Yeah, because sure. number one one day may not be a number one the next day. Yeah. Yeah, bird distance should be on every grinder in the world. <laughs> I hope it is in five years again. That's like the nicest thing ever because that's all we're trying to do with all these random numbers. And that's why we can't translate anything to anyone because we like say, oh, it's a one. But that's one oh, really depends on the how thing you hate the most is what are you grinding on your EK? Yeah. It's like, where'd you align your birds? Uh, what kind of birds do you have? <laughs> I don't have the same bird as you. Yeah. I can tell you where I'm at, but. You're not going to grind the same. <laughs> yeah, so what uh, Kimlock's saying there is there's a, basically, say, I'm grinding this coffee at 0.3 millimeters, and if they had the same grinder, they actually might be able to, like, at least get it in a ballpark yeah. pretty fast. Because then it doesn't matter where you align your burrs at. If you don't align your burrs to touch, and you're telling somebody that, like, my number is one, and they're aligning their burrs to touch, your one is totally different from their one. And if you tell them, like, my distance between my stationary burr to my moving burr is one millimeter, it's so much more, but at the same time, it'll be a lot more costlier because everything has to have a digital display. Any other way might just not be as feasible because grinds will fly out. Yeah, it's an amazing technology, I hope that. I, I know the Mazer, that EK clone that Mazer did uh, was the first one to do it a long yeah, time ago. I can't ago. remember what model name that is. I feel like that grinder just Died. went away. It was cool though. Like they it was had too that. expensive for its time. Yeah. 
I think is reasonably priced nowadays, but there's so many other grinders out there. Yeah, that one was cool. So like that one, like you set up grind distance and like you could even transfer the profiles to other people with that same grinder. So you can say, here's the coffee and like the grind distance that I used for it. And like, I, was, I thought that was ahead of its time. So hopefully that stuff, because that was that three years ago, four years ago, I think. Yeah, I'm ago. pretty sure once they make like a version two and hype it up again, yeah, or good. like maybe not a version two, but like a an up upgrade, refresh type of thing yeah. and get people excited about it again. Because right now your option that most people go with for commercial use for uh, bag coffee, I guess you could categorize it at, is the EK. Mm -hmm. But now the compact's coming out. The compact 100 looks sick. Really? Like, yeah, I might same. buy one just because I want to use <laughs> uh, It's 100 millimeter burrs. It's wow. the same price as the EK. It looks better than the EK because it's a more modern build instead of the same chassis, just different paint on it now. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, something needs to come and knock the EK down. It's so... I, I mean, like... Dude, it's so old school, but it's, it's just like a great nail. grinder Yeah. if you put work into it. So my big gripe with the EK is it doesn't come set mm -hmm. yeah like just perfect yeah. out of the box yeah oh is it like three grand and not come user ready they'll probably argue that it is user ready but if it's user ready why does everybody realign their burrs yeah. Yeah. and why does so many other companies make shims for them but once you get them aligned oh my god they're so good yeah then stock burrs they're so good old mm -hmm. stock burrs they're fantastic i'm jealous of like the one at Peixoto because they have the burrs that I like because yeah. they uh, redesigned the new burrs. Mm -hmm. But I have some SSP in mine now and like it's fantastic. Like it's hard to beat. Yeah, yeah. Just like someone needs to take like that base grind build and just add some nice features to it. Is that what they're doing? Yeah, like I'd be great. It's the same type of format, same type of bag format, and not like the clunkier box like the bun, the didding kind of style. Even though the diddings are are beautiful yeah. in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, why is it like so old school boxy, but why does it have a digital screen on it? No, yeah, I thought the Mazer was gonna kind of replace the EK, because I had friends that were thinking of buying that instead of the EK, like Wayne, mm -hmm. who was really gonna go for the Mazer, but... Yeah, when, just, when it came out, it had such a futuristic look. Yeah, it was great, but yeah, it just was a little outside of people's price range. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go over the last couple points. So I think last couple things, like we talked about in Espresso, consistency, hugely important with, with uh, these grinders, of course. And reliability is huge. So like things breaking down all the time on a grinder cannot happen. So I think that's obviously a, a huge one for grinders as well. Pretty much all the names we've spoke about are pretty good on those fronts. And then parts and tech, again, the thing that like some of these grinders really falter on is that Hard to get parts. I know Malconics have a lot of issues with parts in the past. And then really bad tech support and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's a huge one. Again, like your espresso grinders go down and you're just screwed. So definitely think about how easy it is to get parts, how expensive the parts are, because a lot of these guys will really charge a lot for that mm -hmm. special part that always breaks and meet those clump buster <laughs> the meet those piece of plastic that's 50 bucks and it always it always breaks for some reason yeah so things like people that are 3d printing that part now yeah, no we we thought the same we looked at it one time where we could just buy a piece of plastic and cut it out <laughs> like it's super cheap but yeah think of those things because those are gonna like really hit you down the line and when you don't realize that you really need them so 
all that together, I think, is the, the things that make one better than the other. Yeah. So last little bit on recommendations. What TAMP distributor and basket would you use if you just, or what are you using, I guess? At the I'm using the shop. Compact Cube for TAMP. So it's an automatic tamper. I went from a non-believer of automatic tamper to a full-on believer for automatic tamper. It saved my wrists. It's way more consistent than what I can do, no matter what I think that I can do. But yeah, I do think automatic tamper is the future. The future. Yeah. And you said this is compact? Yeah, the brand is compact, and the model is the cute. I think retail around 8 800 Yeah. So... Yeah, I haven't had much success with the puck press. I don't know if it's just uh, the time that I use it, because I used it when it was really early. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to not say that they're good or bad, just because I don't have enough hands-on experience with them. There is another press coming out. I believe it's called a Kilo. Uh, I'll probably have my hands on it in a couple of months. Yeah. I'll have a better idea if it's better than the Cube or not. But okay. at the moment, the Cube from Compaq, I love it. Yeah. It's what, great. What about manual? Damn. Manual, Anything? the one that I use is no longer in existence. It's the structure tamp from Science Coffee yeah. that Nick Incredible. made. Incredible. Yeah. I dropped it three times and no dent. Yeah, it's uh, that's my favorite tamp too, but can't yeah. buy that. Cat and Cloud did a re-release of it with uh, press art, oh. but they sold out like yeah. in a day. Wow, <laughs> yeah. okay. It was limited art, oh sorry, art press. They're a, I believe, Seattle company. Cool dude, make pretty cool distributor and everything. It's very artisanal, mm -hmm. so it's a little bit pricier than most people price range. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's a distributor you like? It's an art press? I'm using the OCD version one, mm -hmm. and I don't like it, Yeah. but it was so expensive that I just keep using it. Yeah. The version one has no real adjustment or anything, but I don't need much from a distribution tool, so I, I'm content with it. Yeah. The, the other distribution tools that I'm using that isn't a grooming tool, I guess, is the PorcuPress, mm -hmm. which I don't recommend because it is expensive. Don't get it unless you have money. <laughs> yeah. But it is a fun tool that I feel like it is progressive in the right way. Yeah. Otherwise, 3D printing your own wise distribution tool, I think is the best because mm -hmm. it costs like no money like the amount of filament you have to use to print it is like under 30 cents i would say the acupuncture needles that i got was a 500 pack for 11 dollars shipped so each one is pretty cheap it's time consuming but it's cheap so you have, if you have access to a 3d printer and things like that i, I think it's a great deal like you can't beat it there are people that are selling the same type of thing that's not 3d printed for like up to 50 dollars mm -hmm. yeah anywhere from 20 to 50 dollars i would say yeah and then speaking on the ocd you can get clones on like amazon for 20 bucks now i feel like you're not willing to spend yeah. 220 or whatever crazy yeah amounts. like i got the ocd when way back it's a version one when it first came out so nobody was really using distribution tool at the time because yeah, Sasas was the dude that like really put distribution tool on the map. Yeah. To me, it was more of a competition tool to keep your tamping level. A grooming tool is like a love and hate relationship with mm -hmm. me. I don't really think that they do much, but at the same time, it helps a lot of new people know what level is. Yeah. Yeah, I would think they help a little bit with clumps. 
Mm. I think when you use them wrong, they can impact density in the puck. Yeah, uh, I see uh, that too. Yeah, a lot of people go straight into it and just use it, and one side of their puck is just like way more dense than the other side. Then they tamp it, and it's just yeah, uh, way worse. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. But I think they have some nicer parts with if you know how to use it. Yeah, like, I, I still use it daily. Yeah, like I think it really helps with just cleanliness at the end of the day i I use it more for cleanliness than anything else yeah Uh. for sure and then are you what do you think in baskets is there anything interesting outside of vst and all that man i think nobody has been like making any like groundbreaking basket this is something that could be innovated i think yeah because right now is like i'm using the ims coded basket pretty generic get it anywhere i use it more often than the vst just because the vst costs more and they're not that big of a difference there's a little tiny bit of a difference but it's preference yeah spike body smoother i think and then vst is a little brighter a little more complex but you can adjust your prep and whatnot to compensate for it and vst is just harder to get because you always have to order everything from vst vst is a luxury brand so everything's a little bit more expensive i can just amazon ims yeah especially when if you're replacing your basket like every three or six months the vsc adds up Mm -hmm. for sure and yeah i think that's pretty much all the tools i had unless you have something you want to add other than the b plus which we talked about Mm -hmm. pretty good amount already i think screens are pretty important oh yeah okay i think there's not that much innovation in screen but i think if somebody think a little bit more about screens and think a little bit more about baskets you could get like something much much better than what we have i think screens is actually more important than basket Uh, i used to think basket was very important until like i started playing things with the b plus or cutting an aeropress filter putting it on and actually experimenting because all of these tools that we use is to help the downside of traditional screens. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could you could just envision something like a B plus that's just a screen instead of an insert. Yeah, and uh, it would be probably something that doesn't just sprinkle or spray because over time screens when they get they dirty spray, they clump yeah. and spray. Yeah. So you'll never hit the right part all at the same time until your whole basket fills up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's such a big downside that like oh, is sure. overlooked so much that's why when i played with the b plus i was so excited yeah i think everybody was just like why the hell do you like this so much and praising it so much i'm yeah. just like i don't use it for what it's made for i just think that technically i'm using it for what it's made for but using it in an untraditional way not putting it in a decent which is what everybody was using it for mm-hmm. that wasn't using a lever machine yeah because yeah. i'll put it on my linear and right. people are just like why the hell are you putting it in a traditional yeah. machine i'm just like because it helps yeah <laughs> yeah completely changes everything yeah. about the espresso for sure yeah i think that's screen is very underlooked at yeah there's no real good options either i don't even know what i would recommend there but definitely i throw the ims because easy cleanup yeah. with that teflon, ceramic right? yeah teflon or yeah. whatever coating just makes it much easier to just yeah. go from shot to shot it's very true though that's like a huge innovation point i think really easy to just build something for mm-hmm. that like any company the could- screwing part is the hard part yeah if you ha- if you're not a uh, pressure fit yeah. and if you're a more screw fit because mm-hmm. Lombard Zoko with theirs they 
drive a hole within their screw so water can pour down into their screw and yeah. to their that's true that's true yeah so someone would have to you just use their same screw right? yeah i'm just yeah. saying that's a pretty flawed way of doing it yeah. yeah it's just a hack pretty much yeah that was like something that was like what in the 80s that yeah. they just did and nobody updated it yeah yeah, yeah putting some sort of b plus type screen mm -hmm. as a screen would be cool because then you wouldn't have to take it out and clean it like the same way you would have you can wipe on the top and it wouldn't knock into your basket and yeah. all that yeah that would be that would be really cool actually so someone needs to build that because <laughs> i can't do that otherwise Everything else is just like grinder stuff. Yeah. But grinder stuff is so hacky. Yeah. If you see my setup, it's very hacky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because nobody, like, none of these grinders are made to do true single dosing. Yeah. yeah. Even the high end one aren't really, like, the bevel system is so trashy mm -hmm. on every single one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Hope this was uh, informative. We probably went down too many rabbit holes. Thank you, Kimok, for joining yeah, us. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to send everyone to you instead of to us to ask questions. Uh, <laughs> we'll have a lot to link in the show as notes. As long as it's like <laughs> products, and if you are okay with me telling you that I don't like the product that you like. <laughs> Perfect. That's the disclaimer. Yeah, thanks a lot. I think that's where we're going to close it out. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, please subscribe in any of the places you listen to podcasts. For more information and where to follow us, please check out the show notes. Thank you.